Welcome to another edition of the Ultimate Way in Show. I'm your host, Manpreet, aka MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on social media at MMA LOTN. This week, we're going over UFC San Diego, uh, headlined by a bantamweight fight between Marlon Chito Vera and uh, former bantamweight goat Dominic Cruz. Very interesting fight. A lot of heated discussion and heated debates regarding that main event. And I'm looking forward to having a just exactly that with my guests i'm going to be bringing it on very shortly uh but make sure you guys show uh your support for the show just hit that like and subscribe below drop a comment if you guys are watching this on the back end as well uh letting us know what your favorite bets are what your favorite props are what you thought about what we thought about uh, all these matchups so that's where you guys get to shine is in the comment section below make sure you guys do that and lastly if you are one of those guys that likes to listen on the audio platforms this podcast obviously drops on that as well uh spotify itunes uh stitcher soundcloud all that stuff you guys can find it all there so make sure you guys check it out over there as well in case you guys can't catch the video version of the breakdowns all right uh i am hopping right off the uh the prop and you up train over on the all-star broke down the fights from a props perspective with my guy luke lamp from sparring with reality betting as well as club and sub podcast because cody is down in nashville uh, doing some work with the regional show down there, but he will be back next week. And I had about a half an hour for me to uh, go out there, stretch my legs, catch up on the wins that I missed on while I was doing the live stream and uh, able to get everything ready and set to go for this podcast that I'm about to do with a very special guest, probably one of the sharpest guys we have in the game right now. You guys are in for a treat with my guy. Let's bring him in here. He is one part of the and or sorry, Magic and Andrew podcast. Make sure let me make sure I get the uh, the correct order there. We got my guy Andrew Gombas coming into the show here. Andrew, what's going on, my dude? What's up, bro? Good to talk to you as always. How are things? Good, man. Good. It's it's always a great time to break down fights with you because we know for a damn sure we got some uh, some sharp takes, some insider knowledge as well, considering how big uh, you are within the game now. Uh, so I'm very happy that the the fans, the viewers, and everybody gets to hear your insights if they haven't already heard it on your own show with uh, with Magic that you guys normally do on Wednesdays, if I'm not mistaken, right? Wednesdays or Thursdays. It's usually one of those two days, right? Yeah, Wednesday or Thursday, depending on when our schedules match up, because he's halfway across the world, so we got to get on the same schedule. <laughs> Am I mistaken that like usually when he does the show, it's like fucking two or three a.m. in the morning or something? Yeah, it's really late or early in the morning, depending on um, what time, depending on which way you look at it. And it's funny because like the j- inside joke is that I always want to wrap it up quicker than. He does. So, and he just wants to shoot the shit, eh? He would talk. I swear, if I didn't end the podcast, I think he would talk for like days on end. Hey, I, I feel that way about uh, to Cody as well, too. Me, he he likes to be a little bit long winded whenever we do the prop and you up show. So, and I'm 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 the guy that has to like cut off a, a, a matchup and go on to the next one. Otherwise, we could keep talking for like four to five hours. Yeah, it, it's funny because like I like talking fights as much as anyone, yeah. but we got to cut it at some point. Exactly. I'm sure most of our viewers wouldn't mind having four to five hour podcasts considering how much of a diehard nutcases these guys are. So I truly appreciate that. But hey, we got lives too. You know, I got to I gotta go uh, do some stuff uh, with what my cousins after this as well. Uh, and, and that usually is the case whenever we're doing live streams. So we try to keep it as concise and uh, efficient as possible while giving you guys our best breakdowns. And that's what you guys are going to be getting here as well. I quickly want want to say before we start the breakdowns uh nothing of note from the weigh-ins this morning you were able to cash them yes or no Mm-mm. 
you didn't catch the wins. There was no, nobody missed weight. You know, there's a bunch of catchweight fights as well, considering uh, a couple of fights got moved to this card from last week. And even the Cynthia Calvio and uh, uh, Nina Nunes fight got moved from a prior card, but they let those guys either fight at, or let those women, sorry, fight at a higher weight class so they didn't have to cut back down to that. So uh, I know this is the ultimate weigh show, but I don't think we're going to be cut, touching too much on the wins as I really think everybody looked fine on the scales this morning. All right, let's get right to it. First fight of the night, we're going to be talking about a bantamweight bout between uh, Yusuf Zalal, who's coming down to bantamweight for the first time, and he made it successfully, looked damn good on the scales doing so, and he's taking on short notice replacement and UFC debutante, Demond Blackshear. Now, if you guys have been around the MMA game for a while now and have been breaking down your own fights and watching tape, you must have come across Demond Blackshear at some point or another because he's fought some guys that are recognizable names, right? Chris Moutinho, uh, Alan Cruz, Pat Sabatini, uh, Danny Sabatello. These are all guys that he's faced on the regional scene. And although he hasn't gotten his hand raised in many of those fights, uh, the guy still shows uh, some solid skill sets. Uh, for me, uh, Andrew, this is a fight that I'm just acting is not even on the card because I can't really get a grasp on it myself. You know what I mean? You got the uh, UFC uh, level of experience from the use of Salah side, but you can't overlook the regional level of competition that DeMond Blackshear has been going up against. It's just, unfortunately, it wasn't going down under the UFC banner. Uh, per se. Um, Yusuf, I think we'll see him show a decent account of himself at this new weight class. We'll likely be able to land some takedowns here, get some control time. The striking is likely in demand's favor, but I just don't know by how much. Uh, his BJJ is not that bad either, as we see, obviously, a couple rear naked chokes on his victory or on his record as well, which is why I'm so confused about this fight. Like, the only spot that kind of calls out to me, and I'm just not ballsy enough to p- play it, is a chalk on the over two and a half, which is around minus 230. Like, I do see this fight going the full 15 minutes both guys are quite durable both guys are tough to put away but again i think it's just a personal thing with me i don't like playing overs unless it really screams out to me i think the last time i played an over or something close to an over was volkanovsky versus holloway i fully expected that to go the full 25 minutes and i was right in that claim i just wish i can continue to have that type of confidence especially in a spot like this where it seems to be the obvious spot but in terms of a prediction i'll go with Zalal. i'll go with Zalal via decision not with much conviction what about yourself do you have any strong takes on this fight and ultimately who do you think ends up taking it yeah i actually do i like zalal a lot here i think oh, uh, wow. i think him coming down to uh, 135 is a good move for him if you look at his last three fights he's lost three in a row but he could have got the decision in his last fight um against against woodson who is pretty good and he's really long and again that's at 145 he fought Tapiria, who's one of the best prospects in the sport in my opinion and he was able to make it three rounds and then he lost to um, uh, his name's escaping me the Choi. He lost to Choi, and like those are all big, big guys. Like he's coming down. He was not a big featherweight. He's coming down to 135 here. I actually do think he's a better striker than Blackshear. I think Blackshear's going to be trying to get takedowns here, but I, I don't think he's going to have a ton of success. Zalal, pretty good grappler in his own right. So, long story short, I took the minus 110 on Zalal. I think like minus 150, minus 200, probably more accurate. Yeah, if there were any matchups that you needed to realize that you were probably a little bit small for this weight class, you could do much worse than Sungwoo Choi and Sean yeah. fucking Woodson, who normally tower over their opponents. And I think that's what ultimately pushed Yusuf to make this change. You know, luckily for him, the UFC giving him that fourth shot, right? When you're usually on a three-fight losing streak, you usually end up getting the chopping block in your pink slip. But... You know, they, they probably appreciate him taking short notice spots in this past. Uh, also, obviously, taking that Ilya Taporia fight on, on short notice. It was short notice for Ilya, but 
you know, that opponent switch is completely, you know, from left field, especially knowing what we know now about Ilya Teporia. Um, but yeah, uh, interested that you, interesting that you are that confident on this law side. Hopefully you end up going out there and cashing that ticket tomorrow. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We're going to be talking about one of the fights that got pushed off of last week's card. It was originally taking place at 170 pounds. Now they are fighting at 180 pounds. Both guys looking good on the scale, at least to my eye. Jason Witt going up against Josh Quinlan. In terms of odds, we got chalk on the Quinlan side here at minus 280, plus 235, the return on Jason Witt. I'll let you kick this one off, Andrew. What are you thinking about this matchup? Do you think the the, the, the card change has anything to do with how this matchup might uh, go down? Uh, and then ultimately, who do you think gets their hand raised? Yeah, so the pick is Quinlan. I have no bet on the fight because the line's pretty juiced and Witt does have a clear wrestling advantage. But he just seems to get his chin touched at every fight. He's bad striking defense. He leaves himself open to being hit with big shots. Quinlan... Quinlan Oh my God, I can't say his name. Quinlan is by far the better striker. He's the power. Um, he's more durable than Wit. So I think him being a pretty big favorite is justified. Um, I'm going to probably look to fade him in the future at some point, but I don't think I don't think this is the spot. I think he's going to end up knocking Wit out at some point. Yeah, that that's pretty much the tale of every Jason Wit fight, right? Either he can grind you into the ground and get you out of there, or he gets clipped, or he grinds you a little bit and then gets clipped and put out, just as we saw in the Phil Rowe fight. Uh, I'm largely with you as well. It's hard, tough for me to play, you know, minus two sixty five on a guy that's only five and zero and hasn't, you know, fought the the highest level of competition. But he's gone out there and done what he needs to do, right? He's getting the early knockouts or he's getting the late submissions should he need it. Uh, I do lean more so on the Quinlan side here like you do via KO, although I'm not counting out a possible club and sub situation. So I don't want to get caught with my hand in the cookie jar here by just taking the KO side, maybe just taking a little bit of that extra juice on the fight, or sorry, the inside the distance uh, on the, the Quinlan side in case he gets a club and sub situation. But yeah, I think we're largely in agreement that Quinlan should go out there and roll. Could be a potential fade in the future, but this is likely not the spot to do it. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We're going to be talking about a flyweight bout between Tyson Nam, who's closing in on 38 years old, as well as a year and a half layoff, going up against Ode Osborne. Uh, in terms of odds, chalk on the Osborne side, which seems to be the norm nowadays, uh, minus 250 on him, plus 210 the return on Tyson M. I'm still not totally sure, you know, on the O'Day Osborne side, right? I think a lot of his skill set and, and success to this point has come from his physical attributes. The guy's long, the guy's rangy, the guy has a lot of power. But, like, we 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 we've seen him kind of slow down in that fight against CJ Vergara once he actually fights somebody that can give him some resistance and somebody that can go deep with him as well. I think that Tyson M, a guy kind of known for his durability, right? Like the last time he got finished was Marlon Moraes back in 2013. Up until this point, his chin and his durability has held up pretty well. Uh, it's going to be tough for Oday to get him out of there early, in my opinion. And I think that Tyson, you know, albeit very low output, that's kind of the knock on his game is that he doesn't give himself enough opportunities to let his hands go burr. You know what I mean? Like how people like to, like, like to call it just because he has big knockout power at that lower weight class. You're talking about a guy with 12 KO victories in 20 total professional MMA fights. And that's not something that you see often at these lower weight classes. So I'm staying away from this from a money line perspective, period. But where I think I might take a little bit of a shot is the uh, Tyson Am round three at plus 1,800. I'm seeing plus 2,200 on another spot as well. 
you know, I know he didn't knock out Matt Schnell last time around, but I don't like playing that type of MMA math. I like taking what we have in front of us. And in front of us, I believe we have a guy in Tyson M who will go forward, especially if he knows he's down uh, two rounds like he did against Matt Schnell and a guy against O'Day Osborne, who does clearly start to slow down. And we saw some fight IQ issues from the CJ Vergara side. Like, why would you take this guy to the ground when you know you need to go out and get a finish? I think Tyson now will likely put his pressure on him, put those uh, big punches on him, and I think he could eventually find that KO in that third round. But it's very difficult to, you know, hope that he's going to do that at plus 200. I would rather just take that small shot on that prop, like I said, plus 1,800, plus 2,000 on Nam via round three. Um, but O'Day will likely, I'll point him in the first two rounds just off of volume alone and take home a decision victory. What are you thinking here? Am I giving too much leniency to uh, or too much stock on Nam's durability and you think O'Day can get him out of there early? Or are you on my side? Do you think that Nam is kind of live in this spot? Yeah, so no strong opinions here. Like you mentioned, Nam's actually almost 39 years old a flyweight um he does have knockout power doesn't throw a lot of volume Uh, i think this fight if anyone's gonna get a takedown it's probably osborne but i do think it'll predominantly play out on the feet um and yeah i do favor osborne i I don't really see any value on the current line but he does probably have a volume upside he's big for flyweight um he's probably closer to his prime age wise like i said nam you just can't really trust to throw any volume so I'm, i'm picking osborne not with a ton of confidence but i do think this line's probably decently accurate i think the under two and a half is not a bad look i haven't played it myself but osborne just good for finishes he he's good for um he's an under machine as they say yeah he he is i don't know if this is the matchup that he gets it done though we'll see like if that durability of nam holds up or his age just shows now and he just starts to lose that durability and uh that that ability to take shots here one thing i do want to quickly note now i'm now working with max hallway's coaches let's see if they can actually put a fire under his ass in terms of actually throwing more output or if he just goes back and being the guy that we normally see historically speaking that's what we have to go by what we see on tape normally from him we can't expect a complete change overnight but one thing i know we can see is a possible third round finish here for nam hoping that comes through for me but again not going more than like 0.1 unit on that as well considering how wide those odds are All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We're going to be talking about Gabriel Benitez taking on Charlie Ontiveros. Heavy chalk, as is usually the case whenever you want to fade Charlie Ontiveros. Minus 330 on Benitez, plus 275 on Ontiveros. Both guys looking slim on the scales. Both guys looking good. Didn't seem like they had too much issue making the weight. Andrew, I'll let you kick this one off, man. Are you on that fade Charlie Ontiveros chain, or do you think that he has some shot here to pull off the upset? Yeah, so fun story. I was on Charlie Ontiveros knockout first round in his fight against Steve Garcia. He Ooh. almost killed the guy like three times. Like the I know. So um, that's my that's my relationship with Charlie Ontiveros. But yeah, I mean Benitez is probably going to be um, he's probably going to dominate this fight if it goes outside of two and a half minutes. I would be shocked if this fight goes three rounds. I would be shocked if this fight goes. One and a half rounds, honestly. I think that Ontiveros, in the fr- he's big. He hits hard. In the first few exchanges, he's probably going to swing for the fences. But I think Benitez, three, four, five, six, seven minutes in, is going to get a knockout here. So, again, I'm not dying to lay minus 400 on Benitez or minus 400 on inside the distance. But I do think that's going to be the likely outcome here. So, official prediction is going to be Benitez here. 
Yeah, I'll go uh, Benitez, uh, probably round two KO myself. But uh, I, I'm, I'm, I just have something in the back of my head that's like, hey, plus 800 on Tavares round one might be worth a little bit of a stab. He almost hit it last time against Steve Garcia. We see, you know, Benitez, three out of his last four losses coming via finish as well. Is this a sign of his chin finally giving up on him? Because it's something that he used to rely on heavily earlier in his UFC career. But, you know, 34, 35 years old at this point in time, is it that time where it's like, check, please, on the on the chin, and we uh, get Ontiveros actually landing? He's going to have a huge size advantage in this fight, right? He is a big dude for 155 pounds. We saw, obviously, in the Steve Garcia fight and even prior fights in his career that he has big, big power in his strikes. So if he actually goes uh, out there and lands big on Benitez's chin, it's absolutely live that he can cash that round one plus 800, which I'm looking to take a little bit of a shot on myself. But I think the majority of my my action, and it won't even be that much, will likely be the fight doesn't go to decision. You kind of just voiced that you're, you're not really high on taking that type of chalk, but I don't mind parlaying it with something else that I see on this card that I feel like, you know, th- this seems like a surefire spot. Like, I don't want to call it a lock by any means, but I feel like it's a surefire spot that either Ontiveros gets him out of there early or Benitez gets him out of there. Uh, I love how you said, like, uh, I don't think he's going to get past the two and a half minute mark i thought you were gonna say two and a half round mark i'm like <laughs> i agree with you though like they should set this total at 0.5 essentially because yeah. that's how quickly this fight could end and that's what they should start doing with terrence mckinney fights as well because that guy never fights fast uh even around it seems even three minutes so. too. and bo nickel exactly yeah. there you go so um yeah i'll likely take a little bit of a poke on ontiveros plus 800 round one but uh, i'll be looking to exploit that fight doesn't go to decision take that chalk and parlay it with something else uh, official prediction will be Benitez round two KO though. All right, let's move on to the next fight, which is you know the other one that I don't really give a fuck about myself is the Nina Nunes versus Cynthia Calvillo fight. Obviously rescheduled from earlier this year that they were supposed to compete a couple months ago, if I'm not mistaken. But the odds relatively the same: minus one ninety on Cynthia Calvillo, plus one sixty the return on Nina Nunes. Uh, again, not a fight that I have too many strong thoughts on, right? I I got burned last time uh, trying to bet Cynthia Calvillo against Andrea Lee. Gave us one of the worst performances we've ever seen. You know I mean? Even quitting on the stool going into round three, not a good look on her side. Uh, and, and it's tough for me to go back and fully trust a fighter that has shown that uh, in them, right? Like, I get it. Andrea Lee and Nina Nunes are different fighters to a certain extent. But Nina can make this a tough fight for Cynthia, right? If she's able to keep it upright, she'll likely have a little bit of a striking advantage, not by a whole lot per se, as Cynthia's like game is, you know, more so predicated on her grappling and her jujitsu. But I just feel like she doesn't go to it often enough to truly be confident in her uh, in the spot at especially minus one ninety. Um, I think the overs are probably the way to go. Uh, I know it's a little bit chalky, but for at least women's MMA standards, you know, minus 230, minus 260-ish, not that bad of a line, all things considered. I think we see this go with the full 15. I think we see Nunes land the better damage and the more effective work. I think she takes home a decision, but I'm not willing to to separate myself from my money for this fight in particular. What are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, so it's funny you mentioned the over because last time this fight was made, I had the over two and a half at like minus 203. And um, this time it's like minus 250, so I'm probably just going to stay away. But, yeah, I mean, I'm picking Calvillo to win just because she does have that 
superior grappling advantage. It's just really hard to trust her at this point in her career. I, I was on her too against Andrea Lee. It ended up looking terrible. It's one of those things, like if she doesn't get on top, this probably plays out like a 50-50 fight. If it, she does get on top she like you and you're holding an answer out ticket, you might as well be ripping it up because Calvillo is really good on top. Like you said, it this like later as her career got later and later, she just went to her wrestling and her grappling less and less. And she's nothing special in the striking department. Um, yeah. So it's, it's hard to know her motivation here because like, I think she quit and then retired and then she's back. So I, I don't really know what to think of this. I, I have nothing on the fight. If I was going to play something, it would be the over. I had it last time this fight was made. So kind of a bummer to miss out on half a dollar on the line. But yeah, uh, I guess I'll pick Calvillo by decision. Sorry, what was the line that you initially got on that over? 203, minus 203. Jeez. Yeah, it definitely take, it took some steam. And it, it doesn't help whenever fights get canceled and then rebooked. And then right. we know all those lines are getting smashed as well. So uh, I, I see your angle there. All right. Let us move on to the next fight here. We got uh, two heavyweights coming from the contender series, one of them already with a win in the UFC. We got Martin Budai coming in on as chalk at minus 280, plus 235, the return on Lucas Brzezeski. I'll let you kick this one off, Andrew. What do you think in between these two heavyweights? Yeah, I bet Bidet last week, minus 210. It's been steamed out to like minus 300, I believe. Close to 300. Yeah. Minus 300 um, on bet online as, as of the time of this recording. So I did my job there. But a bigger, um, better grappler. I think he's probably even a better striker too. Like Brzezeski, I think his cardio is bad. I think Bidet is just going to wear on him. I think this is a really good fight for him. So I was happy to lay the chalk at minus 210. I think minus 300 is probably more accurate. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I actually made it my lock of the night play at minus 225. I got in early as well. And uh, yeah, as soon as you run the tape, it's evident, clear as day, that this Brzezeski kid does not belong in the UFC. He got fed a complete tomato can on the contender series and Dylan Potter. He was able to bear, like, he beat on him. Don't get me wrong for the entire fight, but like, it still seemed like he was struggling in terms of doing that. Uh, something that's uh, evident in his fights is he slows down, right? He has just been benefiting from the fact that the level of competition he's going up against isn't the greatest. The guy seems very fragile as well, right? Like there's that one loss that he has on his record where he was anything that guy hit him with. It seemed like Lucas was on wobbly legs almost immediately. The guy knocked him out in 24 seconds, wobbled him like three times even before officially putting him out. Um, but we've seen him wobbled in other fights. We've seen him slow down in other fights. He's the longer and ranger guy here, but he has no idea how to use it. It's like he, you know, trains out of the Stefan Struve school of, of kickboxing where he just can't maintain that range at all. Um, Budai, Budai, you know, I, I think this guy has a pretty high ceiling inside the UFC's heavyweight division. I don't know if I'm just having rose colored glasses on here by any means, but I love his style move forward, throw big strikes, and not just big strikes, throwing combinations. Like, that's one thing that a lot of people miss out on is that you can move forward and throw, like, overhand rights and get the respect of your opponent. It's another thing to throw combinations the way that Budai does to back his opponents up, keep his foot on the gas, and then push these guys up against the cage. You know, his dirty, his dirty tie clinch is very uh, effective as well, as we saw in the Chris Barnett fight, even breaking the guy's rib mid-fight uh, with one of those knees, right? So, very impressive work from him there. Seems to have solid cardio for a guy that weighs in at the 265-pound limit. Um, and it's going to be tough to to deter this guy. Like, I've seen him eat big shots in the past from, you know, big hitters, and he eats it like lunch and just keeps coming forward and has no issues dealing with these guys. So 
the only way I see Brzezinski winning this fight is is like a Hail Mary KO. But even that, like, I do not think that's live, especially considering the amount of uh, durability I believe uh, Budai has coming into this fight. So, yeah, I like Budai. And a prop that I actually just pulled the trigger on before we came out here, uh, plus 550 on FanDuel for him to win in round two. I, I love that. I, I don't think that Brzezinski is going to be able to handle, you know, more than 10 minutes of the pace and pressure that Budai is going to be putting on him. So I took a 0.25 unit shot on that plus 550 line there. Um, yeah, Budai, Budai for all the money. Let's fucking go. <laughs> uh, yeah. Actually, let me just ask you, like the, the, the widespread narrative that I've been hearing on a lot of podcasts and people's takes on this fight is that it's just two sloppy heavyweights that likely won't be around in the UFC for a while. But what are your thoughts on Budai's ceiling within the UFC? Do you think he's a legitimate heavyweight? How far do you see he can get? I mean, I think he's getting pretty much the two like most fortunate matchups to start his yeah. UFC career between Chris Barnett and Brzezinski. Like, who, who else could you really put him against that could be a better like tee up than that? So, yeah, I mean, I don't disagree. I don't think Badai is ever going to be a top 15 guy or anything like that. I think Brzezinski is probably going to be out of the UFC in a year or two, if that. So, I don't know. I mean, maybe they'll prove me wrong, but I'm not, not super high on either guy. I just think particularly this matchup is really good for Badai. Like, like just looking between the top 10 to top 15, Blagoy Ivanov, you think Badai could beat him? You don't think he could be him with that with the pace and pressure of that. Uh Shamil Abdurahimov. Funny He's because still- they both have the same head, which is hilarious. But continue. Uh probably not, honestly. Like, wow. I mean, uh, Shamil's probably decently shot now, but I mean, he was winning minutes against Chris Dawkins before getting knocked out. I mean, I don't know. I can't believe those guys are top 15 at heavyweight. I feel like that won't last very long. <laughs> Number 13 is Romanov, so I'm not going to talk too much about that. Sergey Spivak, I think, could give him some fits. Um, yeah, like I think all, Tempura, those, all three of those guys you just said, Toby. Yeah. Right? And then Chris Dawkins is number 10 as well. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I feel like I have a, a higher ceiling for Budai than most people, but it all comes down to how he's able to eat shots because he does rely, you know, a decent amount on his ability to eat damage and still come forward and break these guys. So at a certain point, it's going to eventually break. Um, but yeah, like my guy Buffo on the beat is saying here, give him Chase Sherman. Fuck it. Let's just go with that fight. And I think he should be able to grind that guy out. Yeah, he'd probably beat Chase Sherman. <laughs> There we go. All right, let's get to the prelim headliner here. We got a women's 120-pound catchweight belt going down as this fight was moved up from a different card. Uh, in terms of odds, we're getting chalk on the Lupi Godinez side. Uh, she's minus 325, plus 270 to return on Angela Hill. I'll let you kick this one off, my dude. What are you thinking about this matchup? Yeah, I think Godinez is a justified big favorite. She's a big wrestling edge here. Hill not really any finishing outside and on the feet i think Godinez is it'll, it'll be close on the feet but Godinez is probably a better pocket boxer um as for betting on this fight i bet fight goes the distance minus 270 it's pretty oh wow pretty chalky but at the same time i think this should be priced around 80 percent because i mean i think six out of Godinez's last seven fights have gone the distance and seven out of Hill's last seven fights have all gone the distance. So I was a little bit surprised to see that number not be minus 400. Um, Like even in, um, in Hill's last fight, he is a much better uh, jujitsu grappler. than What did I say? You said he Yeah, yeah. So, so they were on the same card. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fought Chukagian and yeah, okay. So Janderoba, um, not as good at wrestling as Lupita Godinez, but better um 
submission grappling and she never really came that close to subbing hill so i'd be surprised if Gadinez finishes that and even in Gadinez last fight she was a million times better than carnalosti and that fight still went the whole three rounds so i like that prop um i think it should be minus 400 if fight goes the distance it, it was actually i think the over was like minus 425 and the goes the distance was minus 270 i i was confused as i'm like do you do the books really think that uh, or there's a big but, finish coming. Yeah, does the market really think minutes. that there's a huge chance of this fight finishing in the last two and a half minutes? So um, anyway, I, I took the goes the distance. I th- the official prediction is Godinez by decision. Yeah, I like Godinez quite a lot in this spot as well. I, I'm I'm a little bit more confused in regards to the to the method of victory. Yes, the history says that you know Lupi should go out there and decision her, but I really think she has a decided wrestling advantage in this spot where which should likely help her get to more dominant positions. I get it. Jandy Roba, you know, high level submission grappler, like you said, wasn't able to really get much off of her. But like we have seen moments where Agileo has been, you know, tapped out by a girl like Randa Marcos. So it's absolutely possible. Um which is why, you know, I, I was originally thinking of playing Loopy by decision around minus 150, but I think I'm just going to choose to use her as a more of a parlay piece. Maybe we'll put her with the uh, the Antiveros and Benitez fight doesn't go to decision, get a better line there as well. But uh, yeah, I, I don't really have much more to say about this. You pretty much touched on it all. You know, if if Jandy Roba is getting her down in rounds two and three, Lupi Godinez will be able to get her down almost whenever she wants. Uh, last thing, I, I, and I've been saying this in regards to the narrative that I'm building around this fight, is um, the, the reason they moved this fight up to San Diego is Angela Hill from San Diego. And I really think that she feels that she's on the chopping block here. And, uh, you know, three straight losses now. This will likely be her fourth straight loss. She's getting up there in age. She's 37, 38 years old. You know, uh, she, she's had a very tumultuous run over her last 10 fights. This might be the moment for her to take off her gloves after the fight, lay them down in the cage, and just call it in front of her home crowd as well. So that could potentially be the reason they brought this up to the San Diego fight or the San Diego card. Um, so keep that in mind. And, hey, if she does retire uh, after the fight, think about me. That's all I want to say because I was creating this narrative all fucking week. All right. That is a wrap on the prelims. Shout out to the 100 live viewers that we currently have on this Friday afternoon. Make sure you guys hit that like and subscribe below if you haven't already. Drop a comment as well. That will greatly help as well. Uh, you guys can obviously follow Andrew on Twitter at Bets and Picks MMA. Link is in the description below straight to his Twitter page. So you can go right to it. So you just got to click two things, the link and then follow. That's all I ask. Make sure you guys do that. And I promise you guys will be very appreciative, especially with all the knowledge he will be dropping on the timeline for you guys. All right. Let's get into these main card fights. First of which, we got a fight between Gerald Mearshart and Bruno Silva. In terms of odds, we're currently looking at shock on the Bruno Silva side at minus 285, plus 240 the return on Gerald Mearshart. Both guys looking solid on the scales, I'll say, but I will say this. It seemed like Bruno Silva seemed a little bit more thankful to be making weight. Now, he didn't look bad, but like usually when guys are like super happy about making weight usually lets you know that they probably had a bit of a tough weight cut but Bruno Silva is a professional I don't expect that to impact his performance whatsoever I think he still goes out there and likely starts his Gerald Mearshart early in this fight but for everybody that's been hounding me this week saying you should make Bruno Silva your lock of the night play no I will not be doing that because he has a clear disadvantage should this fight hit the mat. That is the issue here. I like having my lock of the night plays to have advantages in every aspect of MMA. That is why I went with Martin Budai at minus 225 because he has every advantage 
in the MMA realm, as well as the durability to back it up. Here were Bruno Silva. Yes, he is the faster, more powerful, and more explosive striker, and it will likely pan out that way in terms of him landing that big shot early in this fight. But should Gerald Mearshart get his paws on him, we know Bruno Silva can get taken down. We know he has a little bit of a deficiency off of his back. And Gerald Mearshart, number five record holder right now in terms of eight submission victories uh, in the UFC, tied with the infamous Frank Mir. He has a trick or two up his sleeve when it comes to the jiu-jitsu game. So I wouldn't be surprised if he's able to lock something up against Silva here. So rather than taking the chalk on Silva, the spot that I think I'll likely be looking to parlay is the fight doesn't go to decision, which is minus 360. Uh, I think no matter what, we'll we'll get a finish here. Uh, people might be deterred because of the Bruno Silva and Alex Pereira fight. When we get guys with too big power that respect each other as much as they did, I expected that fight to go to the distance. Obviously, I can't gloat too much about it because I didn't bet the plus 400 fight goes to decision, but I knew damn right to, to stay away from parlaying that minus 600 that night. I think should that fight have finished inside the distance, we likely would have seen a minus 600 in this position as well, which is why I don't mind the minus 360 in the spot. I'm predicting Bruno Silva early KO, but I'm not ruling out a potential Gerald Mearshart sub, which sits at plus 550 for anybody interested in that, but I am going to lean on Bruno Silva here. What are your thoughts on this matchup? Do you think that Silva gets the KO or does Gerald make this grimy as hell and pull off a submission victory? Yeah, so I'm picking Bruno Silva. Like to your point, big power advantage. He should be able to touch Mirshard's chin at some point. But overall, I don't like Silva as a not a, I don't want to say as a prospect because he's in his mid-30s, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. But as a fighter, I, I don't like I don't like his ceiling that much. I think he's got a couple favorable matchups. Even the Pahara fight, I don't think I that was a super nightmarish matchup for him. I, I think there's some people, there's some matchups for him in the division that are just brutal. And he's kind of got away with not getting those matchups. And I think this is another good one for him, but GM three does GM three things. So I wouldn't be shocked if he pulls it off. If, if I had to make a bet here, it would be on GM three, but I'm probably going to stay away. Cause I do think he ends up getting caught clean at some point, but I would advise against putting Bruno Silva minus 300 on your uh, betting slate this weekend. Yeah, there are a couple fights on this card where you're like, mm, if the durability holds up, you know, this could look like absolute yeah. value. Uh, and we'll talk about a couple more of those in the next coming fights. But I'm glad that you're able to highlight that as well. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got another fight that was pushed from last week. Was supposed to take a fly, supposed to take a place at flyweight. Sorry, uh, now taking place at bantamweight. We got Ariane Lipsky going up against Priscilla Cachoeira. Cachoeira coming in as a plus one sixty underdog, minus one ninety is the return on Ariane Lipsky. I'll let you kick this one off, my friend. Do you think that Lipsky goes out there and tries to get that violence queen title back, uh, back in full flight, or does the zombie girl go out there and do zombie girl things? Yeah, so this is another one. Last week, I bet Lipsky minus 150. Fight gets canceled, comes back minus 200. I don't know what, what I'm going to end up doing with it, but I do think Lipsky's going to win. I mean, if she grapples here, she'll be, she's minus 1,000. If she strikes, she's still a, a decent favorite, I think. Cachoeira comes forward. She's she's durable. She has good power for the division, but she's extremely hittable. Her grappling is non-existent and her striking defense is non-existent. I think this is a good matchup for Lipsky and uh, I'm picking her to win and we'll see what we're doing with the betting from a betting perspective because it's so hard for me to lay minus 190 on a fight I laid minus 150 on a week ago. Yeah, I actually ended up on the opposite side here. I, you know, I haven't truly been the most impressed by Ariane Lipsky's UFC run. Her wins have been, you know, 
Isabella de Padua, who takes the fight on 24 hours notice. Uh, you know, Luana Carolina, just that carfuffle in the, the grappling realm and gets that knee bar. And then Mandy Bohm, who, you know, we, we know what we're getting with Mandy Bohm nowadays. Uh, and then her losses, right? Joanne Calderwood, uh, Molly McCann, uh, Montana De La Rosa. Like, she's just getting beaten by some of these girls. And I truly think that Cachoeira fits in between the wins and losses of Lipsky. And to get plus 150 on her, you know, if she can go out there and just fucking do what she does, move forward, throw big strikes, and try to catch the eye of the judges, that might be enough for her to get this judge's decision. It comes down to how Lipsky plays it. Like, is she going to go out there and actually look to take this into the grappling realm and and try to show her advantage in that spot? I think even if she does, I'm not sure how much success she'll truly have with it. Um, and then in the striking, yes, she's going to be butchering Cashware from the outside. But we've seen, you know, Cashware fights in a very judge-friendly style by just moving forward and throwing big shots. We saw in the Ji Yoon Kim fight. It is absolutely live to happen in this fight as well with her landing big strikes moving forward while eating strikes in her own right. So uh, I took a one-year shot at plus 150 last week. My bookie is still keeping the bet around, so I'm I'm going to continue to keep it for this fight. I wish they kind of canceled it so that I can uh, take the plus 175 that I saw earlier this week, but I'm fine with the plus 150. Close fight, in my opinion. We'll truly see what Lipsky has left in the tank and if she can actually achieve... Even a, a smidgen of what we thought she was going to, co- you know, be coming into the UFC, especially as a minus two fifty favorite against Joanna Calderwood, she blows that spot. Comes in again as a minus two fifty favorite against Molly McCann, blows that spot. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. Uh, we got a light heavyweight bout between uh, Devin Clark going up against Azamat Mirzakhanov. In terms of odds, we got minus 145 on Mirzakhanov and plus 125 the return on Devin Clark. Now, Devin Clark obviously uh, changed up his training camp over the last couple of fights, going over there to Elevation Fight Team in Denver, Colorado. Solid move for him, especially considering the state of Jackson Wink nowadays. But... I don't know if that's really going to help him too much, right? Like, I, I think that he's already a finished product. I think he is who he's going to be. I'm not sure how much elevation can truly help him, uh, you know, adjust his game or make him any better. I think he's always going to be that guy that sticks around that that top 15 but never really gets close to getting a title shot by any means. Um I see a lot of people leaning on the the Tafan and Chukwe fight to kind of discredit Azamat Mirzakhanov, but to me, those are two completely different stylistic matchups, right? You got Tafan as a heavy striker, good technical striking, usually kind of make his opponents feel the heat by just throwing those big strikes and stuff and takedowns the way that he was. But Devin Clark, you know, we're expecting him to take more of a grapple-heavy approach. You know, his striking is still being refined. It's still a work in progress. Uh, I think that it will come down to Mirzakhanov doing what he did on the regional scene. I think he actually uses his speed and his explosiveness to his advantage early in this fight, and he'll he'll, he'll be able to clip Devin Clark and get him out of there. And I think that, uh, you know, it it might end up looking like a buy-low spot on uh, Mirzakhanov by... Uh, you know, with that performance that he had against uh, Tafan and Chukwi. So I am leaning Mirzakhanov. I am not the most privy in terms of taking that minus 145 at this point in time, but I've seen nothing but Devin Clark love throughout the week, and I'm expecting that line to get slightly better. So I'll probably wait until fight day tomorrow, see where that line on Mirzakhanov has come. Maybe take, maybe, hopefully get maybe minus 130, take a 1.3 unit shot to win uh, one unit there. But uh, I think he clips Clark early, gets him out of there. And, and last thing before I pass it on over to you, um, you would think a guy like Devin Clark, who we always talk about having durability issues, would have more than two TKO losses on his UFC record. 
but he doesn't. Like he he gets hurt, but he still manages to stay in fights. That's why people continuously talk about his chin. But I think that we'll see is kind of exposed once again by actually getting a finish. Something that William Knight was not able to do. You know, hurt. Devin Clark couldn't get him out of there, but we know what thick Willie is all about nowadays. I think Mirzakhanov has more killer instinct in him to go out there and get that finish. So give me Mirzakhanov, Mirzakhanov, early KO. What about yourself, Andrew? Yeah, I like Devin Clark here. I feel like Mirzakhanov probably is a way worse gas tank than Clark. He's never really been pushed in the grappling. Clark fought a much better level of competition. Mirzakhanov kind of ass-pulled his last fight against Nchukwi. He was on his way to losing that fight before kind of a Hail Mary KO. And, yeah, I mean, Mirzakhanov has a nice left hand. He'll he'll probably land it at some point early, and he could KO Devin Clark early. But if he doesn't, I think Devin Clark looks like the clear favorite here. So I bet him for a unit and a half at plus 142. And, yeah, I think it should, should be a pick him, maybe even like a slight lean to Clark. So the pick is Clark and the bet is Clark on my end. I like it. I, I Again, I can see the value on the Clark side here, especially with some of the question marks that we have about Azamat. I'm hoping that we see this fight maybe even go into the second round so we can get those questions answered about Azamat as well. Um, I will quickly address this. Thomas Kane asking, is Trevor Whitman in his corner? Trevor is not a part of Elevation Fight Team. Uh, he has his own tra- uh, gym. Uh, the guys that are normally cornering uh, Devin Clark nowadays are guys like Cody Donovan and Vinny Lopez, I believe is the other head coach over there. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got a battle between two UFC newcomers in the women's strawweight division. We got Yasmin Hadagui going up against Yasmin Lucindo. I'll let you kick this one off, man. Did you see anything that you like from these women on tape? And then ultimately, who do you think gets her hand raised in this spot? Yeah, so both these women, very young, especially Lucindo. I mean, she's like 20 years old and coming off of a layoff. So I think we can definitely expect to see some improvements on her end here. I bet her at plus 195. I, I think she should have the grappling edge. If this stays on the feet, I think she's going to lose. But, I mean, at plus 200 with this many unknowns, you have two girls who haven't fought anywhere near UFC caliber, both young and making improvements. I like to steer into the variance. I think plus 200 on Lucindo is probably inaccurate. So I bet her. It's not a super passionate take, but I do think she has the grappling upside. And I do think it's a – Good possibility she's made significant improvements in her um, time off from the cage. So, yeah, I bet Lucindo plus 200 or plus 195. And uh, I think there's still a little bit of value on her now. Yeah, I'm on the, again, uh, back-to-back fights here. We're on the opposite side here. Uh, both me, you know, being chalk boy over here, uh, happy to take the Yaragui side. But uh, I am still waiting on that line to come down a little bit because I have heard a lot of Lucindo love. I have heard a lot of people believing that she'll be able to get this fight to the ground and grind it out or maybe even find a submission uh, of her own. But I think that the, the skill set that we see from uh, Yaragui on the feet uh, impressive. I like what I see, man. Uh, great technical striking, good combinations. She reminds me of a poor woman's version of uh, Marina Rodriguez. And I think if she can bring that same type of tenacity to the cage that we've seen on the tape, I think she'd be able to butcher Lucindo on the feet and uh, probably get her out of there. Lucindo striking, I believe, could use a good amount of work still. Uh, she does her best work when she gets this fight to the ground or most fights to the ground. Can she regularly do that here against, uh, you know, the striking onslaught of Yargui? That's to be determined. I understand taking the plus one ninety-eight shot on her to try to implement that grappling. I'm going to wait it out. I'll, I'm hoping that there's going to be some more money coming in on Lucindo, and I'll likely take a shot on Yargui straight up, you know, maybe around that minus 160, minus 170 mark, if it gets there, which I'm not fully thinking that it will, so I'm happy to pass on it should it not get there. But I think this uh, Harugui chick could... Uh, 
could make some noise in the UFC as long as her strike, or sorry, grappling defense holds up. And uh, if she continues to progress into being a damn good fighter, right? You're going up against a 20 year old who has 15 fights. Like that's fucking insane. Uh, Lucina made her professional MMA debut at 15 years old. So she's acquired some good amount of experience. Level of competition, sketchy, but we can say the same thing on the Haragui side as well. So let's see how that one pans out. Don't hate the underdog shot, but I am going to be on the favorite myself. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We're going to be talking about David Onama going up against Nate Landwehr. Minus 300. I'm seeing even minus 330 on the Onama side. Plus 260 the return on Nate the train Landwehr. I could not stomach betting minus 330 on a guy like David Onama at this point in his career. Sure, the guy has potential. The guy has hands. You know, the guy seems like he could have a bright future, but to take him at such heavy chalk against a, a veteran like Nate Landwehr, I think is a little bit... Uh, tough to, to to truly convince me on uh you know a lot of people are expecting onama to find that chin early here and get him out of there but if he can't find that chin how does this fight look should it go deeper into the fight and i truly think that that's where we'll see uh nate landward truly uh thrive is is making this a dirty fight making this a war and i don't know if onama will be able to completely handle it yes he went to war with Mason Jones and managed to see uh, the 15 minutes there. But the one thing that people keep forgetting about Mason Jones is how hittable that guy is. Almost anybody can make a fight a, a war with Mason Jones and have their stock improve because of that. And I think that's what we saw from David Onama. From what I saw from Onama on the regional scene, guy was having you know catered matchups to him, whether they were guys that were mid-level or even guys that were just too old to be stepping in there to begin with, uh, you know, fighting for FAC, which is run by his head coach, James Krause, or even the KFCA, uh, sorry, KCFA promotion that I used to fight for. A lot of those were tailor-made matchups for him, in my opinion. Now he's fighting the real guys. Now he's fighting the guys that are going to push him. Sure, good win over Gabriel Benitez, but Benitez had him in trouble too. Let's not forget about that. Garrett Armfield, plus 400 underdog. Did not look like a plus 400 underdog. Had some good moments of success himself. So I am on the Nate, the train land where myself. Um, I took a half unit shot at plus 240. For me, the reason I'm not going the full unit, one, the line is already great where it's at, so I don't need to get too greedy. Two, I am a little bit worried about the fragility. I'll, I'll say that. Like That is absolutely in play here. Onama can find that KO early in this spot. It's absolutely live. But should he survive it, I think he's going to put David Onama through hell in this spot. So I think he's worth a half-unit shot at plus 240. Do you have as much excitement on the Nate train uh, that I have considering the odds that we're getting? Or do you think Onama just blasts through him here? Yeah, this is a pass for me. I was kind of considered – I thought there was a little bit of value on Onama when he was like minus 185, but I wasn't super passionate about it. I think this fight could look close, but I just think Onama has the better durability. I think he's probably going to knock Landwehr out in an exchange at one point, and I do think he has the finishing upside. I don't think – I think this fight will predominantly play out on the feet. So I'm picking Onama. Not much enthusiasm from a betting perspective, but Onama is another one. I think we'll get him at some point. I have seen this uh, a couple times around the, the podcasting world over the last 24 hours. People saying that James Krause's podcast mate said he bet $3 million on David Onama. I, I have a hard time believing that. Like, like, can he? Can you get down $3 million on a fight to begin with? A co-main event fight on a fight night? Like through your own experience, Andrew, what, what do you think is the, the legitimacy behind that? 
I don't know. I, I've never watched their podcast. I don't really know who the guy is, but it's tough to get that much down on any fight. I think you'd have to be a trusted regular at one of the Vegas sports books. And I think that's not like just some bet that you could log. Like I know for a fact you can't bet that at like, I don't know, bet online. Bet online probably takes the biggest limits and you can't get anywhere near three mil on a fight. So maybe, um, Maybe he spread it like you could spread it across some books. If yeah. you have every, if you have access to like FanDuel, DraftKings, MGM, Bet Online, Bookmaker, like you still probably can't hit three mil, but you could probably get a decent amount down. But even even like Circa, like I obviously we're we're both kind of good friends with uh, Nick Kalikas who who runs Circa over there as well. But like I, I gotta ask him to find out the validity of that. But like I know they've made exceptions. Like they they said one of their regulars is Floyd Mayweather. He just comes in and bets fucking in college basketball and he's able to get like a mil down or a couple hundred thousand down. But three million on a co-main event fight that just that that sketchy to me. A little, a little bit sketchy to me. I gotta be be honest with that. Uh, but still got nothing but love for my guy, James Cross. Love that guy. All right, let's move on to the main event here. But before we do, shout out to the 130 live viewers that we currently have hanging with us on this Friday afternoon. Make sure you guys show my guy, Andrew Gombis, some love by clicking that link below for his Twitter page and then hit him with a follow. Also, check out his podcast. I usually drops one day, Wednesdays or Thursdays with Magic uh, MMA, one of the best guys in the game as well. Make sure you guys go show them some love. Uh, and then on my end, just make sure you guys hit that like and subscribe below if you haven't already because uh, you know that pretty much every day I have something coming out in terms of content to keep you guys busy and keep you guys entertained. All right, let's get to this main event. We're going to be talking about one of the greatest bantamweights of all time and Dominic Cruz coming in as a plus 200 underdog going up against Marlon Chito Vera, who seems to be on a different trajectory than Dominic Cruz, especially with getting wins over his last three fights uh, and uh, looking solid doing so. I'll let you kick this one off first, Andrew. What are you thinking about this matchup? And if you were to make a bet on this fight, which side would it be? Yeah, um, I don't have any action here. I think Cheeto is the rightful favorite. I have no interest in laying this price. Cruz probably has the wrestling upside. He has the five-round experience, but now Cheeto does too, as of his last fight with Rob Font. And um, Cheeto proved in his last fight, and he's proven it before, that he can lose minutes and still win rounds, which is pretty rare to be able to bank on a guy to do that. And that's kind of what I see happening here. I think the minutes – I think Dom Cruz can win minutes, but I think Cheeto Vera is going to have the bigger moments. I think that's going to sway the rounds. I do think Vera has the finishing upside. As we know, Cruz has had multiple surgeries. He's getting up there in age, so I am picking Vera to win. But because of the aforementioned grappling edge for Cruz and his ability to win minutes here, I'm completely staying off this fight. I'll be rooting for Cruz because I like him, and um, he was inspirational to me when I had to try to come back from injury. So let's go, Dom. There we go. I, personally, I think he's shown a, or made a decent account of himself since coming back from yep. all those surgeries and <clears> – <throat> His last two fights going up against a young gun like Casey Kenny and and obviously, you know, surviving that knockdown from Pedro Munoz and coming back in the same round to go back to doing what he does, footwork movement, getting his output off. So it didn't seem like it phased him too much there. And yeah, sure, there are going to be moments where he slips up and gets hit and all that. But from everything that we've seen, he's able to take it on the chin and keep moving forward and keep going back to his game. You know, losing to Henry Suhudo. No shame in that. Right? I mean, it's fucking Henry Suhudo at the end of the day. Losing to the best version of Cody Garbrandt that we've ever seen grace the octagon, no shame in that either. And even using, losing to Uriah Faber when he did early in his career, no shame in that. But, like, 
I still need more evidence that Dominic Cruz is truly washed to not take a shot on him here at plus 200, right? I still feel his footwork is there. I still feel his durability is there. His output is there too. And then mix in the possible wrestling success I expect him to have in this fight. He is live to me at plus 200. I got in earlier in the week at plus 180 because I already thought that was a good price. And then I saw the price increase a little bit more, so I added another unit there at plus 200. Um, and then I also added plus 150 on the fight, or sorry, uh, the decision only uh, on Dominic Cruz, right? So if he gets finished, I get a push on that. The only way I will lose five units on this fight is if Vera wins via decision, which I don't think is that likely. I think that Dom will be the one winning the minutes here and winning the rounds. Uh, and, and lastly, for a lot of people that are kind of comparing the Rob Font fight to this one. Rob Font doesn't move as well as Dominic Cruz, right? Like, he'll stay in front of you just so he can get his output off, and usually it's his output that discourages his opponent from th throwing back. But we know Chito Vera is more than happy to throw back, and that's what he did, hence why he was able to catch him, clipping him, hurt him on numerous occasions in that fight. Dominic Cruz is not going to be there to be hit as often as uh, Rob Font was that night with a 71% striking defense rate as well from Dominic Cruz. Got to believe that he'll have uh, that. Got to believe that Marlon will have few and far few opportunities to actually uh, land those big strikes uh, to, to get those big moments that Andrew believes he'll be able to get. So I feel quite strong about Dominic Cruz this week. I've been getting shit about it all week. I'm fine with that. Uh, you know, give me all the shit that you want for trying to back a plus 200 underdog here against, you know, uh, for a guy that's been the greatest bantamweight of all time. Show me him slowing down a little bit more, and then I'll be in agreement. This could be the fight. But as of right now, give me that plus 200. Give me the plus 275 on the decision as well. Or if you have access to, to uh, DraftKings, like I said, the decision-only prop at plus 150. All right. That is a wrap on the breakdowns, doing it in a neat, you know, less than hour, which I fucking love. I love keeping things nice and efficient, giving you guys as much information as possible in less than an hour. That's exactly what we're able to do here. But before we do sign off, I do like to drop the lock of the night play or the most confident play on the card uh, for both me and my guest. I'll start it off and I'll get swing it on over to Andrew. Biggest bet I have on the card early in the week, I got uh, five units on Martin Boudet at minus 225. Um, if the price is too long for you right now, I think parlaying her, uh, him with uh, Lupita Godinez is not a bad look either because I think she's probably the other, you know, shoe in spot on this card. What about you, Andrew? What, what do you think is your, your biggest, well, what is your biggest bet on the card and what are you most confident in terms of tipping to the viewers of the show? Yeah, I, I guess Zalal would be my biggest bet technically because I'm risking the most on that. Um, so I'll go with Zalal. Um, risking 2.2 units to win two minus 110. There you guys go. And just to uh, clarify here for Centurion Conquest, saying Dom decision plus 150, I'm getting ripped off by my book. It's decision only. So the only way for me to lose that bet is if Vera wins by decision. If Vera finishes him, that bet is void. I get my money back. It's a push. That's what I mean. Obviously, I know paying plus 150 on Dom by decision would be a stupid thing to do considering most bookies are holding at plus 275, but that's what it is. All right, uh, Andrew, appreciate you hopping on the show as always, my friend. I'll give you the platform one last time here for anything you want to plug for people to find you. What do you got? Yeah, thanks for having me, bro. Always a fun time talking fights with you, so I appreciate that. Um, my Twitter is at bets and picks MMA. I work for CBS sports line. So I write articles on there. I do the early edge on Saturday mornings. Um, 
So you can find that on YouTube. That's the early edge. And I do a show with Magic, the Magic and Andrew MMA show on either Wednesday or Thursday, depending on how our schedules match up. But we always tweet it out. So appreciate you all tuning in. Don't forget to like and subscribe to this channel. And uh, let's make some money on Saturday. Let's fucking go. Andrew Gombis with the perfect plugs there. I really appreciate it. Uh, for you guys, uh, I'll be back tomorrow, 1 p.m. Eastern for the Fight Day live chat. So make sure you guys swing on through for that. Check out my article on the Action Network as well for the Coleman event breakdown, not to mention the prop squad that we got going on there. Uh, I dropped, you know, I might as well tell you guys, I dropped Martin Budai round two plus 400 as my favorite prop for the week. So if you guys want to go out and ta tail that, you're more than welcome to do so. Uh, and yeah, like I said, back tomorrow, 1 p.m. Eastern for the Fight Day live chat. Appreciate everything. Every single one of you guys, you guys are the best. Good luck on your bets next, uh, tomorrow, and I'll see you guys tomorrow as well. Peace.